Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just uh, kick things off reading the whole chapter this evening. So we are still in Revelation. So go ahead and go to Revelation chapter 11. This will get us to the halfway point in the book of Revelation. So let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles in the holy city, shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entereth into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat down before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give Thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because Thou hast taken to Thee Thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and Thy wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there were seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So in chapter 11, one of the things in order to understand chapter 11, something very important that we do, is to take into consideration what was talked about in the two chapters before this. One of the things I've noticed too when it comes to most prophecy preachers, and once again, when, I, when I'm talking about in the pre-trib world, they like to spend a lot more of their time talking about current events and you know end-time conspiracy theories than they do talking about the actual Scriptures. And one thing you'll notice sometimes in the book of Revelation is it will make reference to things. It'll just kind of like insert something. And a lot of times we know what that is just because you know we've learned over the years, but 
what it's specifically talking about in that passage, it's not necessarily explained until later in the book. You know, for example, I think it was in chapter uh, two or three where it talks about, you know, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Well, what does that mean? You know, the word of thy patience. You know, we need to know what that means. And we see later on in the book of Revelation, you know, it says, here is the patience of the saints. You know, here are they that keep the testimony of Jesus Christ. We find out about these things later. And it's so important whenever you're looking at the book of Revelation that you don't always just stay in one chapter and focus on that one chapter. A lot of things build on each other. And so in order to fully get it, we've got to be paying attention to what's been talked about before all the things leading up to this. So just a little bit of review because chapter 11 is all the pieces coming together when it comes to this final battle of the great day of God Almighty that we talked about last week. What we are seeing here in chapter 11 is something that goes right along with this. We talked about how in chapter... Uh, first of all, well, in chapter 9, when the sixth trumpet sounds, one of the things we saw in there in the sixth trumpet, which comes right before the seventh, okay, which we see the seventh trumpet in chapter 11, when the sixth trumpet sounds... We see the four angels that are loosed from the Euphrates. Remember that? In the sixth trumpet, four angels are loosed from the river Euphrates. And that's where we see that army of 200 million that kill one-third of the men in the earth. Now look at Revelation chapter 16. because, And I haven't gotten to this in detail yet, but I've referred to it how the trumpets and the vials are kind of simultaneous with each other. But in the sixth trumpet we see the angels lose from the river Euphrates. In chapter 16, at the sixth vial, look at what we see in verse 12. It says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked. And they see his shame and he gathered them together into the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So, I don't want to have to review everything we talked about last week, but I show you this to show you that the sixth trumpet and the sixth vial are all about getting the armies ready, bringing people together, preparing them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Because this is the main event. That battle is one of the most prophesied events in the Old Testament. In fact, it would be the most prophesied event in the Old Testament that has not been fulfilled yet. This is something that was mentioned over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And in chapter 10, we saw the seven thunders last week. The seven thunders and the seven thunders, it says, happened in the days of the seventh trumpet. Which the seventh trumpet is clearly a reference to the final battle. Revelation 10.7, the key verse of that chapter says, "...but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel..." When ye shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be full, or finished as He hath declared unto His servants the prophets. So notice in chapter 10, we're kind of seeing you know, the finality of some things. Okay? This event that the prophets have all been prophesying about, it's all going to happen in the days 
of the seventh trumpet and the seven thunders sound in the days of the seventh trumpet. Okay? So now when we get to chapter 11, where are we in time? Because all of a sudden, we see the two witnesses that prophesy for three and a half years. But notice though, this here, these two witnesses, they're not the third woe. They're not any of the trumpets. Basically, what we're seeing happen here when he gets into chapter 11 is it's given us a little more detail on something that has been going on during this great tribulation. And what I personally believe takes place here is, or what's happening in chapter 11, we're seeing how the fulfillment of the prophecy of the final battle lines up and is connected with another majorly prophesied event in the Old Testament. One that is not talked about that much. Okay, And if you are a typical independent fundamental Baptist like most of us are here, and you've been in fundamental Baptist churches your whole life, you've not heard a whole lot of preaching on this unless you come to this church. All right, Because of the fact they can't talk about this time too much because if they do, it messes up their dispensational theology. And so if you're from most independent Baptist churches, they teach, you know, they teach dispensationalism, or even if they're not dispensationalists, they teach a pre-trib rapture, they teach Zionist doctrine, and therefore they can't teach you very much about the times of the Gentiles. They teach, otherwise, it will destroy their theology. But this time of the Gentiles that we see mentioned here in chapter 11, this is a very important event that we're supposed to know some things about. And this is one of these events too. As I studied it, I'm like, why didn't I know more about these things? And then the more I studied it, the more I realized why I didn't know more about these things. Because if I'd have known more about this, I'd have never been pre-trip. And so, we, we're going to look at this tonight. And I'm going to show you how this, the event of the battle of the great day of God Almighty, majorly prophesied event. Okay? That all ends at that final battle. This time of the Gentiles another majorly prophesied event, it's something that lasts for a long period of time, but it ends. It ends right before that battle of the great day of God Almighty. So the reason we're seeing this in chapter 11 is because of the fact that what we see taking place here is just one more thing that leads up to that final battle. That's what it's all going to. It's all about this final battle. It's all about this big day and so, when we understand that, it kind of helps us make sense of what's going on and the timeline and things. So, let's. So, first off, let's talk about these two witnesses. All right. So, in verse three, or let's let's read the beginning again. Verse one: and There was given unto me a, rod, uh, a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which was without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. That's three and a half years. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now, most people when they talk about chapter 11, especially in the pre-trib world, they are going to spend almost all their time talking about the two witnesses. For a couple of reasons. One, the two witnesses are interesting. All right? It's an interesting thing. You know, it's an, inter it's an interesting subject. But ultimately, they need to do it so they don't have to talk about the time of the Gentiles. They don't want to have to tie what we see here in to Luke 21. 
And they especially don't want to have to go to Luke 21 because if you go to Luke chapter 21, we're going to go there in a minute, it mentions something in there that's very important. It talks about how these be the days of vengeance. It refers to it as the days of vengeance and the time of the Gentiles, meaning this event that's going on here is something that we learn about in the Old Testament. And if we, com- if we compare Revelation 11 with Luke 21, it forces us to go back in the Old Testament and look at some things that you're not supposed to see. All right? But we're going to look anyway. All right? We're going we're to look at, what this, at what's being taught here. So let's keep everybody distracted talking about the two witnesses. Let's argue about the two witnesses, but I'm not going to waste a lot of time doing that talking about the two witnesses. Most people across the board agree the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. Okay, and that that would be my official position. Some say, well, it's it's two regular people, but they come in the spirit of Moses and Elijah, like John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. All that's possible. At the end of the day, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna split hairs over that. But let me show you one thing though in Zechariah chapter four, verse eleven, because they're referred to as the, you know the two olive trees, and it says in Zechariah chapter four, verse eleven. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and on the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which though the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So we see there are two anointed ones, two very special people that are referred to as olive trees or olive branches that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. One reason I think it's safe to say it's Moses and Elijah, they were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Also, when you look at the plagues that came on, okay, you know they are very similar to what we see, the plagues that Moses brought and that Elijah brought. Now, guys like Brian Sharp, he's always taught it's Elijah and Enoch. Okay? And it's funny because Brian Sharp is not a dispensationalist. Brian Sharp hates dispensationalism. But he makes the same mistake dispensationalists do. Dispensationalists love to create rules and try to kind of force God into different boxes. And you know, they, they have all these weird rules just based on dispensationalism. And one of Brian Sharp's rules that he came up with, and it has to be Enoch and Elijah because it's appointed a man wants to die. You know, and those are the two men that have never died. Well, that's stupid. Alright, because one, there is no evidence that it's Enoch at all. And second of all, you know, if you gotta say, well, God's now he's forced himself in a box where he's got to keep that rule. Well, what about all of us that get raptured? We're not gonna die. You know, and he's like, Moses can't because Moses already died. Yeah, but Lazarus died twice, unless you think he's still walking the earth. Everyone that ever was rose rose from the dead, other than Jesus Christ, died again later. They died twice. So you know what? Sometimes when the Bible makes statements like that, you know, there are exceptions that are there. Okay? You know, and the, you know, the, what they say, the exception proves the rule. But people do, they just, you know, I don't know, I don't know if they just want to be different. They want to look smarter. But then too, a lot of times they like to do that because they like to try to find a way to connect Enoch to end times. And, you know, Enoch got raptured out before the flood and, you know, just stupid stuff like that. It's Moses and Elijah. Alright? It's, it's going to be Moses and Elijah. It's not Enoch. But another reason too, I think Moses and Elijah, 
I think they represent the law and the prophets. You know, you've got Moses, the law, Elijah kind of represents the prophets. The law and the prophets is another uh, reference to the Old Testament. It says in Matthew eleven thirteen, it says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. And that was when he was talking about John the Baptist there, because they said, Hey, you know, the scribes say that Elias must come first. And he's trying to tell them, Well, you know what he did come, you know, it was John. It was John that did it. And I think it's interesting how he talks about all the law and the prophets prophesying till John. And I think Moses and Elijah are a representation of the law and the prophets personally. And so, uh, you know, the Bible calls them two witnesses. You know, what are they witnessing about? Well, I do believe they're probably going to get some people saved. I'll show you that here in a little bit too. But what are we condemned by? You know, what is it we're condemned by? Because this is another thing that, you know, the Rucktards like to do is they like to talk about how we're going to go back to an Old Testament economy. You know, start preaching the law again, even though the law didn't get anybody saved back in the Old Testament. So it's like it's going to be Moses and Elijah. That proves they're going to go back to preach an Old Testament economy, you know, the Old Testament law. But listen, folks, we still preach Old Testament law today because that's what condemns us. When you preach somebody that they are a sinner, do you know what you're proving they are a sinner with? The law and the prophets. You're preaching the Old Testament to them. The Old Testament still applies today. That's why we're guilty of being sinners. So you just see, you know, there's all kinds of this foolishness that go along with that. But I believe these two witnesses, they're going to begin their ministry probably at, right after, uh, somewhere around the abomination of desolation. So I personally think that we just may see these people before we get raptured. I, I personally think that will happen. Because when the abomination of desolation happens, we are going to know. We will know beyond a shadow of a doubt at that time that we are in the tribulation. I think it's possible that we can be going through some really hard times in the world and not be positive that we're in the tribulation. Because it seems like all indicators are that the you know, abomination of desolation is the big thing. That's why when Jesus said, when ye shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken by Daniel the prophet, when Paul is preaching in 2 Thessalonians 2, he's saying, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Well, that can kind of be you know, anything when you stop to think about it. That's not real specific. But then he says, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And then he goes on to talk about the abomination of desolation. I believe when that, when that comes along, we're going to know it, and I think it's very possible that we will see the two witnesses. And folks, that's going to be cool. All right, That's going to be pretty cool when that takes place. And so anyway, I, do, I believe that the defeat... You know, because when, uh, you know, when he comes in, obviously when the Antichrist comes in at the abomination of desolation, I think that starts that time when they're treading down the city for the 42 months. Because the Gentiles are going to tread it down for 42 months, the Bible says. And, and then after that, during that time though, we see that they're going to be prophesying, they're going to be killing people, fire is going to be coming from their mouth, destroying their enemies. So they're going to kind of be a pain in the neck during that time. And then eventually, we're going to see the Antichrist is going to prevail over them. He's going to defeat them. And I personally think when he defeats them, that's going to kind of set things in motion, you know, kind of uh, really get things going crazy, get them excited and confident to get them ready for that battle of the great day of God Almighty. Because uh, so after that 1260 days, and we're not going to look going into this tonight, if you look at Daniel... There's actually the second 
half of Daniel's 70th week is 1,290 days because there's like a leap month that they had back then because they had a 30-day month or 360-day yeah, year, which made them have to have a leap month every like six years or seven years. So I'll probably go into that more on a later week, but there's still time from the abomination of desolation for them to be there to have three and a half full years and then still have time for the great battle of the great day of God Almighty. Because you've got 1260 days, they're killed, three and a half days later they rise again from the dead, and then it's probably after that when things really get in motion for that final battle. But anyway, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time kind of going through the timelines and things right now because I need us to get to the main thing that because there's there's a lot of scripture I got to show you. I, I want us to look at the ignored things that people don't want to talk about. But uh, in just a couple other uh, side notes, I just need to hit real quick. Uh, look at verse 12. All right, so this is after their antichrist defeats them, and of course they're going the whole and the whole world's happy about it. The world is excited. And I don't know this for sure, but it mentions. Well, let's go. Let's start reading in verse. Um, let's see, verse six it says, "These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will." Now I don't know for sure about this, but I'm, I think it's very possible that these plagues that we see, that we've seen in the previous chapters with the other trumpets, these guys could be pronouncing those things before they happen. And so the world is blaming these guys for it. And that's why the whole world is excited when they die. These guys that have been there, you know, calling down these plagues, bringing all this torment on the earth, they're dead. So they're probably going to be thinking, it's over. We've been suffering for three almost or for three and a half years now, these guys are dead. It's all about to be good. Let's go and have one more battle. Let's try to you know get rid of any remnants of saved people out of this world. But then that's when Jesus Christ is going to return, and He's going to defeat those enemies. But notice what it says in verse ten. Um, it says, "They that dwell on the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth." And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. And look at this. And the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, I think this is an indication that some people there in Jerusalem could be getting saved during this time. Now, once again, we don't want to go real crazy on a verse like this, all right? And start, you know, just adding things because, you know, in the pre-trib world, they're constantly preaching about this massive Jewish revival that they usually teach is going to take place right after the rapture. Well, the problem is we don't see anything like that, anything that even resembles that anywhere in the book of Revelation. Right here, it looks like there could be some people that give glory to God after this earthquake. But that doesn't even necessarily for sure mean that they get saved. 
Because, for example, in 1 Samuel chapter 6, alright, in verse 5 it says, Wherefore shall ye make images of your emrods and images of your mice that mar the land, and ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Peradventure he will lighten his hand from off you, and from off your gods, and from off your land. And the men were scorched with great, uh, or I kept, I went on reading the next further, from Revelation. But notice right there, this was when the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant, and so God cursed him, he smote him with emrods. And then he told him to make these golden emrods and golden mice that were marring their land. And as, as kind of an offering, you know what he was wanting them to do? He was wanting them to give God the credit for this plague that was on them. Now, when they did this, when they gave God the glory, did they get saved in this, in this story? No, they didn't. You don't, you don't necessarily get saved just for giving God the glory of, or giving Him credit for something. So, I don't, you know, we don't want to go too crazy on that. However, in Revelation 16, verse 9, it says, And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give Him glory. So, in one of these other plagues that we see that's actually earlier in this time period, they're not giving credit to God. Does this mean they're not getting saved or they're just not giving God credit and then finally they do give God credit here? I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm saying all this to show you there's a good possibility a lot of people in Jerusalem could be getting saved during this time. But, you know, I wouldn't make a huge deal out of it just from this passage right here. Okay? I don't think this is an example of all Israel being saved right here. Okay? In fact, it's not that. Because I'll, and I'll show you that here in a little bit. But let's, let's take a closer look at this specific time period. Because we saw the two references in verses 2 and 3 to 40 and 2 months. It mentions how the Gentiles, you know, that, that area outside the temple, is given to the Gentiles. They're going to tread it underfoot for 40 and 2 months. And so, what is this time period of this time of the Gentiles? Well, let's turn over to Luke chapter 21 and verse 20. This is what the pre-tribbers must ignore. If we start paying attention to what's going on and the time era we're in, it's going to uh, cause us to notice some things. That it's going to devastate our timeline or our, our uh, theology if we're pre-trib. But look at Luke 21 verse 20. It says, and when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken and they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. So right here we see a reference to the abomination of desolation. And when he's talking about that, he's specifically talking about the abomination of desolation and the return of Jesus Christ or the rapture. 
But notice what he mentions here, because this is where Matthew 24, it's written a little plainer, where it's real obvious you know, how things fit with our timeline. What the pre-tribbers like to do is they like to go to Luke chapter 21 and show how it doesn't fit with our timeline. And it looks a little more like the coming of Christ here is when He returns at the battle of the great day of God Almighty. But you got to understand, the main focus here is He's talking about the rapture, the return of Christ, but He also mentions when you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, okay? These days that's right there, these are the days of vengeance. Okay? This is a specific time that's about to begin or that's about to take place. There's a specific event that was talked about in the Old Testament. This is something that we are supposed to know about that I'm afraid many people do not know about. So the kind of the key uh, things in there you gotta notice is that you know the days of vengeance. We said these be the days of vengeance, you know, the time of the Gentiles, all right? So, because that passage in Luke 21, it assume, it's like it assumes you know what that is. Because Jesus, He's speaking you know, to His 12 disciples here, and I think He assumes that they know what He's talking about. This is something that a Jewish person should have known about. But what is, so what is this time of the Gentiles? Okay? What is the time of the Gentiles? Look at Romans 11.25. Go ahead and turn over there. Romans chapter 11. Now, the pre-tribbers love to bring up this passage. The Zionists love to bring up this passage. But once again, they never look at context. Dispensationalists never look at context for anything. Otherwise, it'll defeat their, uh, it'll defeat their theology. It says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is My covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So what is this time of the Gentiles? Because until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Okay, he's saying blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And I personally believe that that time period that when it's finished is what we've been reading about in Revelation chapter 11. This time of the Gentiles. The ending of that. Okay, What is this? This is another great mystery of the Old Testament that was referenced many times, yet it went over the heads of many of the Jewish people. And so let's look at this. All right? And I'm going to jump around to a lot of Scriptures if you want to try to follow along. But Joel chapter 2, verse 27 says, and ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned to dark, into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now what everybody wants to do in the dispensational world, they want to make this all about Israel. But notice how he talks about all flesh here. 
in Joel. Notice how it says in verse 32 that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. That's quoted in Romans. It's quoted in Romans for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall not be ashamed. That's also mentioned in the book of Romans. And notice how it says, you know, in Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Okay? Now who is the remnant? All right, who is that remnant according to the election of grace? It's mentioned in Romans chapter 11. It's those that believe. Okay? That's who the remnant is. It's those who believe. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, so this is after the resurrection of Christ. This is after. After. And you all need to get this, alright? Look at Romans chapter 11. Notice what it says here. Verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. Is this telling us when or is it telling us how? Okay? Now, if you've been in the dispensational world at all, it's there, they will tell you when. I've even heard preachers say, and so then all Israel shall be saved. No. It says, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. This is not a when. This is a how. Everybody wants to talk about a when. That's not what Romans is talking about here. It's talking about a how. Okay, now why did it, so why did it word it that way? Because it looks like it's talking about in the future. Well, partially because it's quoting Old Testament. And when it was written, it was in the future. Okay? But I'm going to prove to you that this has already been fulfilled. Okay? This has already happened. And, no, because notice what it says in Acts chapter 2, in verse 16. It says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. We just looked at this passage. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will, and notice that term last days there. Okay? This is, the last days are not the time period right before the rapture. The last days are the days that they were in right there when God was about to start working amongst the Gentiles. Okay? I'll show more evidence of that in a little bit. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before that great notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? This looks like it's including everybody. Now, interestingly enough, even though you know the disciples here, they're preaching this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, they're preaching the truth, but you all realize even they didn't fully understand what they were preaching right then? Because of the fact we see that as time went on, they were just preaching to the Jews. Even though they're quoting this verse here that says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it wasn't until Acts 10 when God revealed to Peter through Cornelius that you know what? The Holy Spirit salvation is not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles also. In chapter 11, they, the disciples, they all come together to talk about this. Hey, the Gentiles are receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit too. And as they start talking about it, all of a sudden, it's, you know, James speaks up and he's like, hey, this is what was prophesied. This is exactly what the Bible prophesied. We're not going to go through Acts chapter 11, 
But they didn't fully understand it. But what they were preaching right here was a salvation that was going to go to the entire world to the Gentiles too. Okay? Not just the Jews. A salvation that was going to go to the whole world. Look at chapter 3 of Acts. Acts chapter 3, it says, And He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you up unto you, of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear the, that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets, from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Okay? He's talking about the days that we're living in. They all, all the prophets from Samuel, they all told about these days. And look at this in verse 25. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. You know, let's stop there for a second. Because what do the dispensationalists do? They make that passage all about the Jews. And thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And what do they do? When they say, and thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, they tell us that that means we need to bless the seed of Abraham. But no. The Bible, right here, he's shown in Acts that in Abraham's seed, all the world's going to be blessed. Alright? We all receive blessing because of Abraham's seed. Now, what is that blessing that we all get? It's Jesus Christ. Okay, It's Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to preach on that. I've preached on that plenty. But look at verse 26. Unto you first God, having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from His iniquities. You all see that right here, there? Is that talking about the future and the past? He says, No. Okay, unto you first, God having raised up His Son, Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from His iniquities. Okay, He went to the Jews and Jesus, said, the Bible says, turned every one of them away from their iniquities. Now what's that talking about right there? That's talking about Isaiah 59, verse 20, which is what... Uh, Romans chapter 11 is quoting. It says, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Jesus Christ, or God had a covenant coming for Israel that he mentions in Isaiah 59. And you know what? That covenant came. Bill Grady says it's still yet to come. It has already come. Look what it says in Isaiah 45, verse 17. It says, But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. Verse 22. 
Is this just, so is this just for Israel? Well, right here in verse 22, it says, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. That's why he said, and all Israel shall be saved. I believe it's a direct reference to Isaiah 45. It says, Israel shall be saved in the Lord. So it's not a when shall all Israel be saved. It's a how shall all Israel be saved. You know how they're saved? They're saved in Jesus Christ. The Deliverer came out of Zion and turned ungodliness away from Jacob when He died on the cross when He paid for their sins. In Acts chapter 3, He spells it out when it says that unto you first, God having raised up His Son, Jesus sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from His iniquities. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Did everybody of Jewish DNA get turned from their iniquities? Well, not those of physical Jewish DNA, but all those who are Abraham's seed, though, did. Who are Abraham's seed? Those who are of faith. Those who believed, their iniquities were turned from them. And you know what? We see in Isaiah 45, which is what that's quoting, that that was something that wasn't just for physical Israel. It was something that was for the whole world. And so this already happened. At Romans chapter 11, when it says, and all Israel shall be saved, it's just quoting Isaiah 45. It's quoting, it's quoting Jeremiah. These are, it's just referencing Old Testament prophets, uh, prophecies because of the fact all Romans chapter 11 is doing is it's teaching us that physical Israel can still be saved. Physical Jews can still be saved. That's all he's teaching in Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, he made a really big claim and said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans 11, he is proving that Jews can be too if they'll believe on Christ because these prophecies that we see back in the Old Testament, they were to Israel. They were to you know all the world. They're included in those things. And I wish we had time to go through all of Romans chapter 11. I'm spending a lot of time on this, but I need to cover a few more things. Galatians 3.8. Notice what it says, "...and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the Gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed." Basically, all these things that I'm showing you here are just showing that it was prophesied in the Old Testament that salvation was going to be for all the world that it wasn't just going to be for the Jews. Even though God went to them first, He was going to go to the rest of the world too. Jesus came and He preached the Gospel to the Jews first. The disciples preached the Gospel to the Jews first. But then you know what? After that, we see He gave a time for the Gentiles. And He sent the apostles and they went into all the world and they preached the Gospel to every creature. And this was something that was prophesied. It was something that was mentioned over and over and over again, and we don't have time to look into all these things. In fact, it was mentioned in Genesis. When God told Abraham, and these shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, right there was a prophecy that the Gospel is going to go to the whole world. Well, in Jesus' day, had that happened yet? No, it had not happened yet. That was a major prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. 
They didn't understand it during that time, but God revealed it later. This time of the Gentiles was something that you know everybody should have seen coming, but they didn't. You know, because God didn't reveal it to them. But can we not go back and see it crystal clear now that there was supposed to be a time of the Gentiles? We weren't Plan B. All right, it was always Plan A for God to go to the Gentiles. There was going to be a time for the Gentiles. You know, when the fullness of time was come. God sent His Son to be born of a virgin. And when the, that time was completed, God sent Jesus. But you know what? There's a fullness of the Gentiles that has to come in. And when that time is completed, guess what? We're going to see that final battle. That's when judgment is going to take place. And that time of the Gentiles, it is fulfilled and it is finished at the end of this 42-month period that we see in Romans chapter 11. This time of the Gentiles, the battle of the great day of God Almighty is going to take place after God is done going to the Gentiles. That's, that's why we see Revelation 11 in this spot here and in kind of in this order is this all kind of going to this, this main event that's to come. Romans 16 verse 25 says, Now to him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the Scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Alright? So once again, it was something that they didn't fully understand but it was something that all the prophets talked about, and that was a time of the Gentiles. And so what specifically the last days are, they're not the days right before the coming of Christ, but they are the days when we start seeing uh, you know, the, or the time of the Gentiles, basically. That's what the last days are. The last days are the time of the Gentiles, and we've been in those days for a couple thousand years now. We've been in the last days for a long time. And so... I think you could also say it's when the Bible goes from focusing on physical Israel to spiritual Israel. You know, a spiritual Israel that's always been around. It's him, instead of just going to really to one nation, he's going to all the nations. That's what's going on right now. And so premillennialists, which we are a premillennialist, they often make mistakes of seeing a last days reference to meaning right before the rapture. You know, we're definitely in the last days. Well, I'm sure we are, seeing that Peter was in the last days. You know, we're definitely in them. Okay, what people really mean when they say that is the rapture's got to be getting close. Well, then come up with a biblical term for that. All right, that the last days we've been in there for a long time. It's spelled out when we're in the last days. You know, preterists, what they do, they'll go and they'll use, you know, references of Paul and John and Peter saying we're in the last days, and they'll use that to prove that all the prophecies were fulfilled in their lifetime. That Jesus Christ returned in 70 A.D. spiritually. You know, that's just stupid. All right? they, but one of the reasons they do that is because they're wrong. They don't understand what last days means. The last days are the times of the Gentiles. And so when you realize that the last days are not about the day of the Lord, but the time of the Gentiles, it's easy to understand why Christ hasn't returned yet. He gave Israel about 2,000 years. From the time of Abraham to the time that Jesus Christ came was roughly 2,000 years. And so He's given the rest of the world probably about the same time too. It actually makes a lot of sense. 
So the Old Testament prophets, they prophesied about the Gentiles, time of the Gentiles, but didn't fully understand it. And that's what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter. People always say Peter's written to the Jews. Okay? Now they do this for two reasons. Because they only want to give us the Pauline epistles. That's to the church. And then Hebrews, because we can't figure it out because we can't understand it. You know, we're going to make Hebrews through Revelation about the Jews again too. And that's what a lot of the dispensationalists teach. But Peter, he's actually writing to Gentiles. And they get that from Acts because in Acts, they sent Paul to the Gentiles and Peter to the circumcision. But that doesn't mean Peter never preached to Gentiles too. Okay, I'm sure he, I'm sure he preached to a lot of Gentiles. In fact, he probably did like Paul. Paul, you know, he tried going to the Jews too, but when they reject him, he's like, you know what, I'm done, I'm going to the Gentiles. What's to say Peter didn't do the same thing too after they commissioned him to go to the circumcision? There's no reason why he might not have eventually, you know, 10, 15 years later, said, you know what? I'm done with these guys. I'm going to the Gentiles too. Or he was doing both. But look what it says in 1 Peter 1 5. Says, he says, who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 9 says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Okay? The prophets, they looked into this and they couldn't figure it out. This grace that was going to come unto you. This is a reference to the time of the Gentiles. Searching what or what manner the time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they administer the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the Gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things angels desire to look into. So this time of the Gospel going to the Gentiles, this was something the prophets didn't fully understand. Now, can anybody tell me why the prophets probably struggled with the idea of salvation going to the Gentiles? Well, here's why. Because, what was the problem that the Jews had? The Jews thought they were going to heaven because they descended from Abraham. They thought they were going to heaven because they kept the law, didn't they? And so they're looking at these heathens that the Bible, Gentile and heathen is used simultaneous in the Bible. Gentile and heathen. Many of the Old Testament verses that would say heathen, the New Testament, when it's written in the New Testament, it's translated Gentiles. Okay? They would look at these barbaric heathens and they were thinking, there is no way they can go to heaven. Now, why did they feel that way? Because they thought they were good, didn't they? And that ended up being their undoing. When Jesus Christ came, when John the Baptist came preaching to them, we have Abraham as our father. But what did they do? They had to teach these guys, hey, no, y'all are sinners. And you need to stop trusting in your works. You need to start trusting in Jesus Christ. And they struggled with that, didn't they? But we see that the heathen, they didn't struggle with that. They were able to have faith. And so, those in the Old Testament, they did. They struggled with that. They had a tough time with that, thinking, how could these dirty, rotten so-and-sos who are not descendants of ours be saved? Because they, they struggled with that. And they didn't, fully, they didn't fully grasp it, but you know what? It was revealed. And these guys saw it. Peter saw it. 
He saw it firsthand with Cornelius and he saw it with many other people. And so, this was a, this was a major, major event that was prophesied, a time of the Gentiles. And so what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 11 is we are seeing the ending of that time. This is when it is finished. And when it's done, when, whenever uh, you know, that final time happens, when Moses and Elijah are killed, I personally think, I mean, it's done then. I mean, at, at that point, it's all about this final battle now. Jesus Christ is going to come back and He's going to do some serious killing. And then let's look at verse 15. Okay, so it says, or verse 14 says, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Okay, why are the kingdoms become the kingdoms of our Lord? Because He defeated the kingdoms. He wiped them out at the seventh trumpet at the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Verse 16, The four and twenty elders which sat before God in their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in His temple the ark of His testament and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So this seventh trumpet or the third woe, this is a reference to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. It's not... It's not Details aren't spelled out here, but I believe we see examples of it in chapter 10 in the seven thunders that also are not spelled out. But later in the book of Revelation, that's where we're given the details of that battle. But I also believe this time, you know, it, it ends the days of vengeance. Okay? That battle, it ends the days of vengeance and the time of the Gentiles that Jesus referred to in Luke chapter 21. And so in the days of the seventh trumpet, remember us all, you know, time will be no longer. Okay? I personally believe that's a reference to, you know, just this is the final time. We are in the last days right now. We are in that final time of the Gentiles. There is not going to be another time period after this where there's this other opportunity for salvation. No. Once this is done, the time of the Gentiles is done, it's the millennial reign of Christ. That, it's going to be the millennial reign of Christ. And I think that's what it's talking about when it said time shall be no longer um, in verse, in verse uh, 6 of chapter 10. And then, at this point, it's all done. Jesus is going to come quickly or He's going to come suddenly. And there's not going to be any time to get right at that point. There's no getting right at, at that point. So, Revelation 10, it covers the battle of the great day of God Almighty and Revelation 11, it covers the completion of the time of the Gentiles. And so that's why we kind of see it go back in time a little bit, but that time period it refers to, it ends at the same place chapter 10 did. So right there, that takes us to the end of, to the end of everything up to the millennial reign. So next week when we get to chapter 12, we kind of see some of the story told again. All right, and so just a little homework project for you. All right.
I want you to go home. I want you to read Revelation chapter 12. And I want you to ask yourself, in this vision, alright? It's, it's a vision. It means something. I want to see if you can figure out who the woman is. Alright? Who the woman of Revelation 12 is. I believe I know who she represents. And I think you may be surprised by the answer. Alright? And so, hopefully, uh, that will give you something to look forward to next week. It's not Israel. Alright? That's what all the pre-tribbers say. It's not that. But I've, I've, I think I can prove who the woman of Revelation 12 represents. And I'm not, I don't, I never look to try to preach something nobody else has preached. I don't know if I've heard anybody else preach this, but I think I can make a really strong case for who I think this woman represents that is going to be tough to refute. So, read that this week, and then I want you to tell me what you think, see if anybody gets it right. Alright, so, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. We just, I pray this was a help to everyone. Lord, we thank you that uh, the Gospel did come to us. We thank you that you gave us a chance for salvation. And dear God, I pray you'll help us to continue trying to spread the Gospel through the whole world. And we'll see many more people get saved before your return. In your name we pray. Amen.